These lessons, I, I call them author, finisher, covenant keeper. And I wrote these uh, apparently about five years ago for our, our ministers' meetings. And we wrote these just to further develop the character of ministers. But uh, if it's good enough for ministers, it, it's a something all of us can aim for and aspire to. I've broken this lesson down into two parts because there's a lot to cover here. And we don't want to speed through it. But I want to talk about this being required Christian character. Now, unfortunately, probably 50 years ago, this was a gimme. But now in the end times, the last of the last days, this is not a gimme. This required Christian character, this author, finisher, covenant keeper. And just to kind of give you a brief synopsis of these two lessons, these lessons are very simple. They're all about giving your word, keeping your word, and finishing everything you start. Again, 50 years ago, everybody, generally speaking, that was the, that was the American culture. You, you did business dealings on a handshake. Well, you, you know, and that kind of thing evolved. You used to just give your word. Then when that kind of broke a few times, they started giving the word and handshaking. When that broke enough times, then you had to start signing your name on a little piece of paper. When that started breaking down, then you had to get lawyers involved. And now you have 100 pages of stuff you sign that binds you legally. And now if your lawyer's good enough or dirty enough, you can sign your name to anything and get out of it. 50 years ago, it was not so. It was, I'll be there. So we've all been kind of caught up in that culture. We've been washed in it, bathed in it, born into it. So these lessons are designed to teach us to give our word and keep it, but also to finish everything you start, unless it's sin. This region that we live in is very good about finishing nothing. You see it in the buildings. You see it in the families. You see it in the careers. And so that's the heart of this. So we're going to jump into these lessons. Let it just kick you in the teeth. Let it just stomp you in the heart. <laughs> uh, one of somebody a couple weeks ago said, that was a rough sermon Pastor Chris preached. I know he was aiming for my heart, but he kicked me in the head. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> Let's jump into this because we have two lessons on this. We'll pick up the next one next week. Colossians 4.17. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. Now, evidently, Archippus is what we would call a full-time minister, but I want you to pause and realize every one of us has got a ministry. We're not all going to earn a living from the pulpit like I do or like a missionary might or Dr. Barclay, but you're called to do the work of an evangelist. You may be called to be a workplace minister where you witness on your job and use your money that you make, or maybe you're a business owner and you use the finances you make in business for the gospel, but all of us have a ministry. There's a ministry of helps. There's the ministry of the worship team. There, there's ministry everywhere you go. So we all need to take heed that we fulfill the ministry the Lord's given us. There's no spectating permitted in the kingdom, right? Zero spectatorship. We are all called to hook up to this gospel plow and mush, right? You know, you ever watch the, the Iditarod sled dog race? You got one guy driving and you got 100 dogs pulling. There are no dogs riding. They don't have a spare dog. In case one blows out, right? <laughs> There's no twin spare dogs on there. No, the kingdom is designed for all of us to pull and, and take the gospel everywhere we go. We might say we pull those that are weak and battle-torn and maybe been through hell and back. But then you carry them, you repair them, then you hook them back up to the sled and we move on for God. Christians are God's representatives in the earth to both the heathen and the saints. We're not just light to the heathen. That's a gimme. 
We're also supposed to be light and examples to the saints. Now, you can be a lukewarm Christian and have a little bit of a bick flickering to the heathen, right? But what does that light do when you come around other saints? It looks shameful. So anybody, I've also joked, anybody can be the brightest light on the job because it's full of pagans. Anybody can be the brightest light in the university classroom. But we're not just called to be a little bit flickering in the darkness of the world. We're also called to be light to the other Christians. Somebody in the body of Christ is looking up to you right now. And they think you didn't just make the water and walk on it. You can also split it, bring it back together again and turn it into wine. These are all things the Lord does with water. They just happen to think that about you. Don't disappoint them. Our friend Dan Groves pointed out several years ago, uh, a study, a church study said that in any given time in a local church, there's at least seven people watching you in your life. The new people that come in, the, the young children, the young adults, the high schoolers, the college and career, somebody has felt drawn to you as an adult in the kingdom and they've marked you. There's something in you that calls out to their heart and it's a good thing and they're watching you. So you've got to realize that you may not be the pastor, but you've got to be the pastor as well. You may not preach full-time, but you've got to live a life like a full-time preacher because somebody in the church is looking up to you. I remember coming into this church at the age of 19, and anybody that was up on the platform, I said, they're worth following. And then I grew up. <laughs> and I realized... Everybody up there is worth following except them and them and them and them and those two and that one and, and that one. The other three people, they're worth following. And we used to have a very big choir back in the day. So this is not just for ministers or people who feel called to live the rest of their life in full-time preaching ministry, but this is for all of us. You're called to be God's representative, not just to the heathen, because even a donkey can preach the gospel. Even a bush talked Moses into obeying. But you're also called to be a light and an example to the Christians around you. On your job, you ought to be the brightest Christian and you ought to convict everybody, not through words, but just through holy lifestyle. You ought to cause folks to want to serve God better. You ought to be the standard. Not everybody's going to read the epistles. The Bible lets us know we are to be the epistles. And they can read our life and want better. And so this is a list of, these are lessons that tell us this required Christian character to do this. You're going to have to keep aspiring to be brighter until we go home to heaven. And even when you go home to heaven, you get to take it up one more notch. Because you get to glow like Jesus does. A Christian's life must be as much like Jesus Christ as possible. I like what my friend Pastor Luffman taught his church. You're either getting brighter or you're getting dimmer. There's no in-between. There's no holding pattern in the gospel, especially in these days. So we have to ask ourselves this week, have we gotten a little bit brighter or have we dimmed a little bit? If we've dimmed a little bit, just repent and say, Lord, let me pray a little bit more fervently. Let me study the scriptures. Let me stretch myself. Let me do something I've not done. God is a God of integrity and commitment. And that's the heart of these lessons, integrity and commitment. His ministers, that's all of us, we should be full of integrity and commitment. God keeps his word and he finishes what he starts. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad he finishes what he starts? That means he's not done with us. Aren't you glad he hasn't just wadded you up and thrown you in the paper trail or the paper wastebasket? You see in the movies where the guy's trying to come up with something and he wads it up. 
and he throws it and there's a pile the size of Everest. He's not done that with us. He's still waiting for us to get with the program and submit to his pen so he can do some more stuff in us. He's not done with us. In fact, Paul said, faithful is he that will finish what he started in us. He's faithful. He expects his ministers, that's us, to be like him. You must be like Jesus to fulfill his calling. That makes sense, right? You got to be like him to fulfill his calling on your life. So let's start off with this. Do you have a good name? And this is where we're going to start judging ourselves. Proverbs 22.1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And loving favor, we'll add, is rather to be chosen than silver and gold. So a good name is better than great riches. And loving favor is better than silver and gold. But you see the, the, the connection there. A good name will get you loving favor. If you have a good name, people are going to favor you. If you have a bad name, people are going to not favor you. I, I've got lots of stories, not in my own life, because the McMichael name, in these parts, McMichael. I ain't never heard that name before. I said, well, we're from Louisiana. Oh, all right. I've got friends who have stories about their last name getting them op job opportunities or loans or uh, bringing things into their life because of their family's name. And maybe your family name's not so good. Well, the good news is you can redeem it or you can change your name, I suppose. But you can re-establish re your namesake. We ought to have a good name rather than great riches. Business people don't usually get this. They'd rather compromise their name and get good riches. I've often, uh, the story that sticks out in my mind, if Daryl was here, he would know. Ford Motor Company back in the 70s, they did the cost analysis I think it was the Gremlin or maybe the Pinto station wagon. I can't remember. The one they did the cost analysis. Do we fix the fuel tank at the cost of a billion dollars or do we let it go? And will it be cheaper to face the lawsuits when people die? Everybody, you older folks remember that story? They chose to face the lawsuits because it was cheaper. So they let people burn alive because it was cheaper to Ford Motor Company than it was to go back and fix the design flaw. That's a wicked company. A good name, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And of course, we're foolish enough, you know, we still trust them, the American people. I'm not, not against Ford, but you know, that's 40 years ago. That's, that's wicked. You say, ah, oh, we know this is going to blow up and burn people alive. And the lawsuits, they'll never top the billion dollars it'll cost us to fix this. We can sell out of court because they're just, you know, cheap Americans. They'll take 20 million for the life of their loved one. Yeah. Don't be that way. Take the hit financially that you might have a good name. This, this is just integrity. This is just ethics. And unfortunately, it's lost in America. I just saw a poll this week. This is 82% of Americans say they can see flagrant corruption in our American political system. Only 82% can see it. The other 18% are blind, deaf, and live in an asylum somewhere. <laughs> it's republicans too they're just as crooked as democrats the whole system's corrupt that needs a double flush <laughs> the name you have made for yourself is your testimony in the earth every one of you has a reputation every one of us has a reputation in this church we have a reputation among our families at the family reunion. We have a reputation on our job. We have a reputation in our neighborhood. And we control that reputation. Just think about that. 
Sometimes we're terrified to find out what it is because we know it's probably not going to be very good. Or maybe we think it's better than it is. Or maybe it's not as bad as we think it is. A mere good name, not even an excellent name, but a mere good name is better than great riches. What is your name? What is your reputation? Uh, I remember actually just talking with Pastor Mike this week. We were talking about a lot of things. Pastor Mike used to be a bank manager, a bank president. He was very involved in the banking industry before he was a a pastor. And he said, um, there were three P's you didn't loan money to. And I'm trying to think, one of them honestly was prostitutes. I can't remember the second P and the third one was pastors. I can't remember what the middle P was. Prostitutes, something P, and pastors. And uh, Dr. Barclay laughed about that because we, we were all at lunch together. When I took over the church, for whatever reason, I got stuck with a credit card debt from the ministry that was in Pastor Vaughn's name. And they called me up wanting to claim that debt. And it's probate. Is that right? Probate? Where, you know, yeah, probate. And I remember yelling at this Yankee at the call center because I'm like, wait, 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 this guy's just dead? And you want this $8,500 or 80, it was a lot of money. He's the, yeah. And I said, I got no proof that this is even a real debt. How do I know you're not some kind of shark, some kind of buzzard? And we yelled at each other. I had to shut the office at the zinc mine and I was just going at it. And I was just, those were the battle axe days. I don't care who you were. And I was yelling at him and he was yelling at me. It was kind of a Yankee. It was like civil war all over again. The South will rise again. I mean, this guy was thick Jersey Yankee. I mean, use guys. Don't call me use guys. And so I said, let me look into this. Call me back tomorrow. So I talked to Ginger about it. We found out, yeah, we did owe the debt. So he calls back, ready to fight again. I said, I do apologize. It looks like, according to my records, we do owe you this money. I will get you paid. And the guy totally diffused this man, and he became my buddy. But he told me this. He said, I get the unfortunate task of calling all the debts due on ministries. And he said, we all hate ministries because they never pay. That ticked me off. I said, are you serious, sir? He said, in my line of business, you know, debt collection, he said, the joke is don't even bother to call them. They're spending all their money on fancy stuff. They're not going to pay their debts. And I, yeah, it's nasty. And I said, sir, I don't think I have the money to cut it to you all right now, but I'll get you this paid very quickly. And we paid it off. It wasn't even my debt, but my ministry's name was on the line, and so was Jesus took a hit we could have preached the gospel with $8,200 but when you owe it to somebody the Bible says the righteous repays that which he owes actually says the wicked does not repay that which they owe so let's make sure we are men and women of integrity even if we take the financial hit because I got I didn't even preach to this man but I got to be a witness to him and I got to be a different kind of gospel minister and earn some reputation back for the Lord Jesus Christ In the end, your reputation is all you've got, and God does not promote people of ill repute into ministry. Think about that. Now, there's we talk about the women of ill repute. What is that code for? Prostitute. But all of us could have ill repute, a bad reputation. We need to figure out where our reputation is, and no matter where it's at, we have to build it, right? If you have a good reputation, you can't just coast on it. You have to maintain it. An airplane, it goes up and earns a good elevation. And it can't just like 
coast. <laughs> it has to maintain it by forward thrust. Jesus told the church of Sardis in Revelation 3, you have a name, reputation, that you are basically on fire for God. He said, but I know you're not. They were still coasting off of their past reputation, and the Lord Jesus saw that they were no longer where their reputation was. So their reputation was about to come back down to earth. We want to make sure wherever our reputation is, if it's a good one, you maintain it through the decisions you've made, the righteous ones. And if it's a low reputation, you repent, you start paying off your debts, you start keeping your word, you start doing whatever the Lord deals with you to do to earn your reputation. Amen? You're not going to promote anybody to represent you, right? Well, you know, no, you, you're carrying my name. I can't, if, if, if you have a bad name, I'm not loaning you my name. The boss doesn't do this. You're representing the something, something, Inc. And if you have a bad name, you're not going out there representing me. Amen. I learned years ago when I was the ge project geologist for this big project in, in, for TDOT, and the company I worked for was called Wilbur Smith Associates, WSA. And they trusted me a lot, and I would go to these big meetings with 30 and 40 people there. Uh, it was a quarter-billion-dollar project, so we were over all the geotechnical part. And my bosses trusted me, and I could go into those meetings, and I was probably usually the youngest. There was a girl there who was the marketing guru. She was younger than me, but I was just 27, 28. And I learned they trusted me, and if I spoke up and I said, we shouldn't do that, our geotechnical results say that wall's going to fail. We need to move the wall or reconsider the design. It would not go down as Chris McMichael. They'd say, WSA says we shouldn't do it. And I just, you know, stopped a quarter billion dollar project on my own word all because they trusted me and they trusted me to speak accurately for them if I did that wrong once I don't get to speak anymore we get to be promoted based on our reputation and if you've not seen re a promotion from the Lord in a while you've got to go back and look at your reputation in the kingdom look at your reputation on the job when you have a great reputation on your job the boss will promote you everybody's looking to delegate more work so you don't have to do all of it. I'm telling you, if you've got a job, your boss wants to promote you. But you've got to have the reputation that can be trusted. Amen. What is your reputation among the saints and what will we do to improve it? Next section. Are you known for your integrity? Integrity is not just honesty on the job. Integrity is keeping your word. Integrity is being faithful. Integrity is being dependable. And this ties into what we've been teaching on Sunday mornings for a while. Are you known for your integrity? And again, if you, if you aren't, you can begin to build a reputation of integrity. If you are known for integrity, you have to maintain that reputation. It, it takes a while to destroy a good, a good name, a good sake, namesake. But all it just honestly takes is one or two massive failures and people will begin to flinch at you. So once you get to this place of being known for integrity, you still have to maintain it through consistent, right decision-making. Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus, he makes the right decision every time. And he's always faithful to us. He's never been the problem. And he's never failed us. And his words never failed us. As Timothy says, even if we're unfaithful sometimes, he yet abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. Look at our first psalm here, 15, 1, 4, and B. Lord, who shall abide in your tabernacle, your, te your tent, your presence? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? 
He that swears to his own hurt and changes not. Swear would just be a strong commitment, strong promise. I always interpret this. He that just keeps his word even when it hurts. He that keeps his word even when it hurts. You have to be willing to keep your word even if you miss your favorite movie. You, you, you have to get up earlier. You have to keep your own word. The psalmist said very clear, this is one of the about four or five requirements, those that get to dwell on the holy hill. One of them is you keep your own word even when it hurts you. That's not American anymore. American says, well, it doesn't feel good, so I'm just not going to show up. If you can't make it, at least call and excuse yourself or just let somebody know, but don't leave people hanging. Don't abandon people. That is so poor. Even the military still throws you in the brig for that, absent without leave. Don't even show up. You can even be hanged for it in time of war. Just don't even show up. 2 Timothy 2, 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Notice the Lord's only going to entrust to faithful people who are able to teach others. Notice that only faithful people are qualified to teach. Faithful people. The Lord only promotes faithful people to teach others. You might have a great teaching gift, but if you're not faithful, the Lord doesn't see you as a teacher. You commit these things to faithful men and women that, who, who will be able to teach others. Faithfulness is the first thing you've got to be able to teach. Everything else is just head knowledge. So many folks say they have so much to offer, but they're not faithful. When you're not faithful, everything you have to say is kind of tainted with selfishness. And one of the things we don't quite understand is that when we speak, we don't just sow the word of God, we sow ourself. That's why you have to be careful who you listen to and who you feed on. We're careful who we bring in as ministry gifts to represent the gospel to you because I know when they speak, you're getting some of them. Paul said, we sowed even our own souls among you what he told the Corinthians not just the word but even our own souls were deposited in you that's why the Lord doesn't promote unfaithful or disintegrous people because he knows that even though you preach the gospel a little bit of Steve goes in a little bit of Jeff goes in a little bit of Miss Angie goes in a little Mr. Rick goes in that's okay if the Lord finds you faithful but if he's not found you faithful he doesn't want that sown. amen so we have to be mindful Faithful, I, I pulled the Greek here on it, trusty, can be relied upon. The persons who have shown themselves faithful in the transactions of business, the executions of commands, or the discharge of official duties. You've got to prove yourself faithful. Now, faithful isn't obeying on your terms. Faithful is obeying on your authority's terms. I always like to tell the story when we teach the Ministry of Helps. A couple years ago, Josh Barclay was telling me that at their church, this woman felt called to help them paint their sanctuary. The problem was they didn't want their sanctuary painted. And she really felt led of the Lord. The Lord has told me, this is where you need help. And Josh is like, no, pastor doesn't want the sanctuary painted. You're not helping. And so more than once, they caught her with cans of spray paint in her purse because she was determined to be a blessing. And they'd have to catch her and usher her out. Well, they had to start watching her because this woman was nutsy. Guys don't get this goofy in this arena. Women do, though. Now, guys go their own weird way. But he said, one night, we recognized we locked down, and her car was still in the parking lot, so we had to do a security flush. We found her hiding in the ladies' restroom. 
she was determined to help pastor by painting the sanctuary with like five cans of spray paint. If you've ever been to pastor's church, he has like 40 foot ceilings. It was a massive sanctuary. Five cans of spray paint is gonna paint a door. Yeah, that's not help. That's not faithful. That's you doing your thing to help you be you. That's not acceptable. <laughs> yeah. Be faithful in the discharges and the execution of the commands of another. That's a faithful person. For me, at the age of 28, I was entrusted with so much because I just said, whatever you want me to do. I don't have a better way. You guys know what you're doing. I can't tell you how many folks have come into this church and try to steer it for me. And I, I like to sometimes when I get real sassy with them, I'll tell them in private, I'm sorry, how long have you pastored this church? Oh, I don't. How long have you pastored? Oh, you've never pastored. Oh, then go away. Because you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Because <laughs> we've probably already tried everything and it didn't work. So that, it's always been women who try to do that. Uh, and their reputation precedes them. I told the one lady, I said, what can I help you with, ma'am? She said, no, no, I thought I could help you. I said, listen, I don't know who you are. I already have a pastor. His name is not you. And the reason you're a miserable Jezebel is because you go everywhere trying to boss people around. You won't sit down, shut up, and submit. Well, I never. I will. You ought to. And I hung up on her. <laughs> she never came back, and she never called me again. Free. That's freedom right there. <laughs> Jeremiah 1, 11 and 12. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod of an almond tree. And the Lord said unto me, you have well seen, for I will hasten, I am alert and active, watching my word to perform it. See, the, these are about integrity, bringing the word to pass. To bring your words to pass, you must stay alert and active, diligently looking after them. It may help. And this may seem a little legalistic to some of us, but it'll help you write down your commitments. It's called a calendar, right? Yes, I think the Lord has a calendar because the Bible says he'd say this time next year, you'll have a baby. What happened that time the next year? They had a baby. In the fullness of time, Christ was born. In the fullness of time, he came. Uh, the Bible's full of dates that are predicted and come to pass. It must be the Lord wrote it down. We know he's the Lord. He doesn't forget anything. But we ought to write things down. Write down all your commitments. Put it on the calendar. When you do let your word fall to the ground and you show up a liar, which is the only way of, you don't mean to be a liar. I just totally missed an appointment this week and I got a, an email from our lady. She said, um, Pastor Chris, did you forget about your appointment today? And I text back, or email back. I said, I am so sorry, miss, ma'am. Please forgive me. Oh, we know you're busy over there, honey. You want to reschedule? Yes, ma'am, but I'm so sorry. I, I left it off with him this way. I thought he would text me and no problem. I felt bad because I left an appointment hanging. Now I had Dr. Barclay in town and I had a bunch of preachers, but I had made a commitment that I could have made come to pass if I had written it down, if I had put an alert in my phone. So that day I was a liar. Not like a fire liar, but you know, I said I would and I didn't. I don't like church and stuff up because it, it, it kind of diminishes the reality of what's going on. Look diligently, look after your words. And when this thing bites you in the rear end enough, you'll stop overcommitting. I just, uh, uh, what is today? Friday, Friday we were meeting out here about the parking lot and I called up somebody about doing some, some excavating work. And I said, I, I said, 
Your brother-in-law called me, said you could help. He said, I'd love to help you, Pastor. He said, I, but I'm afraid I'd overcommit and I'd end up burning somebody. I said, no, 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 no. I, and I told him specifically, don't commit to me. I want you, and I told him this, I want you to be a man of your word and a man of your integrity. Don't worry about me. Don't feel like you have to do it because I'm a preacher and you want to bless the gospel. No, no, you've got commitments. You should keep your job going. Don't worry about it. I'll find somebody else. And we did. He said, well, let me give you some numbers that you ought to be looking at. So then he helped me as much as he could. But I wanted him to be able to keep his word. Don't drop your commitments to the pagans just to help a preacher. That's not a good witness to them. You're not going to hurt me. But I appreciated what he said. He said, I hate to overcommit and hurt myself. That's a smart businessman. I wish some of us could be that smart and stop overcommitting. I taught a couple sermons on and off throughout the years called The Magical Word, No. How do I not overcommit? Just say no. It'll be okay. Are you known as a woman or a man of your word? Do you fight to keep your word even if it costs you? Can you be trusted with official duties? God wants to promote every person in the kingdom, but he, he's looking for certain things he can check off before he can pass you on to the next level. Keeping your word, even when it hurts you, staying up late, even getting out of bed because you hadn't done something that you said you would do, even postponing something that would satisfy you so the money or the energy can go towards bringing your word to pass. Brother Hagen used to teach the reason we don't have much faith in God's word is because we have zero faith in our word. And he would say, we have so devalued our word, we have trouble believing God won't devalue his. But if you keep your word and know how far you'll go to make it come to pass, it'll be easy to have faith in God's word. You realize if I'll go the hundredth mile to make this come to pass, how much more will my father in heaven not bring his word to pass? It'll help us. Keeping your word, our next section, keeping your word is finishing what you've started. Say, oh me. Yeah, I've tried to teach this in my own life for years. I try to finish everything. In fact, my mind keeps tabs on everything I've not finished because it has to get done. I'm very anal about it. The Lord dealt with me very harshly about this in 2001, and it still is in me. I always preach about the books I've never finished. I can tell you what they are, and I've got about four more in the queue right now that I've got to finish because unless it's just a dirty book, I finish everything I start reading, even if it bores my gourd. Because it produces a momentum. I've got a model airplane I've not finished yet. I was thinking about that yesterday. Lord, I've got to work on those Aleons flap things that I ordered. I've got to finish that model because I can't leave that thing undone. That's redneck. You know, no only difference between that and a car on center blocks is size. Thank God this thing fits in a little box in a closet. I don't have a car on center blocks somewhere. Being a man or woman of God means you finish what you start, unless it's sin, and then the Lord will say, stop it, and then you burn it or throw it away or get rid of it or walk away from it. Luke 14, 28 through 30, for which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, so the subject here is building something, could be a project, could be a marriage, could be a business, could be a literal tower, could be a home. Don't sit, sit, sit down first, count the cost, and see whether you have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily after you've laid the foundation, you are not able to finish it, and, that behold it begin to mock, uh, and all that behold it begin to mock you, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish it. Notice even the pagans mock those who begin but don't finish. We've got businesses around town that they started building something, 
down there on Interstate Drive, that little strip mall. That's a disgrace. I don't know the business dealings behind that, but you got all this retail space and it has sat empty for three or four years. Every time I drive by it, my heart just, I wag my head at it. Somebody's lost their shirt on that thing. But yet in our own lives, we do it. We don't finish this little project. We don't finish that little project. We don't finish this book. The Bible fixes that. It says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. That means you don't stop till you're done. Uh, Colossians and Ephesians says, do it with all of your heart, with singleness of mind. Singleness of mind means you're focused on it till you're done with it. What we do many times is we're not singleness of mind. We're doing this thinking about this. So we halfway do this and we, oh, we have ADD. I don't believe in ADD. I believe in a lack of a disciplined mind. And adults have it all the time. I have to deal with it because I got a thousand things I'm thinking about. My wife will say, honey, 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 honey. Yes, sweetie. Did you not hear your daughter? I know my mind's, I know your mind's somewhere. All right, I'll bring it back. I'm not on pills for that though. The Bible says have a disciplined mind so I can. I just have to train it better. So then you get to working on this thing, but you're not singleness of mind. You're thinking about these three things. Before long, your eyeballs are spinning and you're bumping each other and, oh, and your life goes nowhere. <laughs> the only way things get done is that you focus on them till you're done. Here's a little nugget. Don't start anything new till all this is done. It's carnal lust. It's carnal attention deficit disorder, CDD. You cannot live commitment-free. However, before you commit, you should weigh the cost and make sure you can finish what you have begun. See, that my, when I say those things, I get afraid that somebody would say, I can't commit to anything. I can't commit to anything. No, you have to commit to something. Just don't overcommit. Some people commit to nothing. A sermon would be, give your word and bring it to pass. Other folks are committed to everything and nothing happens. So where's the balance is right down the middle of the road. You should weigh, before you commit, weigh the cost and make sure you can finish what you have begun. If you don't keep your word, you will be mocked. Maybe not by me, maybe not by God, but the world will mock you. Your life will mock you. Your testimony at family reunion will mock you. I've got, I'm thinking now I've got family members that, yeah, they could hear, hear this sermon. They don't ever finish anything they start. And I used to look up to them because they were aunts and uncles. And now that I'm a, an adult in my own right, I look at them and I think, you're a failure. I say that with all love and respect. How could a McMichael fail so bad? We're McMichaels. We don't fail. Apparently, you didn't get that memo. <laughs> if you don't keep your word, you will be mocked. Keeping your word will build great things in your life. So whatever you start, I, I teach all the young guys this. Finish everything you start. And if you don't intend to finish it, don't start it. Maybe just go flirt with it to get... You know, to get your flavor of it, get your taste of it. Sometimes we're just interested and then we get it and we don't want it. No. That's where discipline kicks in and says, you know, I'm really not interested in this book or finishing this model airplane or finishing this car, but if I'm going to be a man or woman of my word, I just, I got to make it come to pass because I put my word out there. That's why being a person of integrity doesn't care how you feel. Being a person of integrity has nothing to do with how you feel. Because to be a person of integrity is going to hurt sometimes. It is going to hurt you financially. It's going to hurt you in your personal time. But you'll eventually learn how to perfect it. And you let money bite you enough, you'll stop overcommitting yourself financially. 
you will build your foundation with the stones of completion. But some folks, all they have is busted stone all around them. They've never begun to build anything in their life. They quit everything when it's convenient. We don't do that. We march on. Amen. I might even so far as add, we've started so many projects here at this church that we get halfway through it and I just don't even want to finish it. And yet I finished every book I've ever started reading. I finished every other little project. Why would this be any different? Suck it up, Chris. Who cares how you feel? Who cares how they feel? We're committed. We're stuck now. We're just going to push through to the other side. And we do. All right. Do you have God's character? We've got to finish up here. I'm glad I broke this lesson into two. This was just one lesson before. Christians are to be holy as God is holy. One of the less observed character traits of God is that of finisher. Our God finishes what he begins. We forget about that sometimes. That is one of God's greatest characteristics. Until I wrote this curriculum, I never heard anybody teach it. God is holy, God is love, God is merciful, God is a healer, but God is a finisher. And we're supposed to be like God. Genesis 2, 1 and 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. You notice he didn't leave anything undone after six days. Nothing's left undone. It was all done. Six days he was done. (laughs) And all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had made. I just finished reading Elon Musk's biography. Elon Musk is a brilliant billionaire who's done space stuff. He's doing the electric car and Solar City and all that. And he notoriously is a workhorse. He works 110 hour weeks, 120 hour weeks. You know, the average American works 35 hours a week. He works 110 to 120. And he was chewing out his team. He said, why can't you get it? They said, we don't have enough time. He said, God made the universe in six days. And they said, and then he rested. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If God had left creation up to man, we'd still be working on it and using the excuse, I've been meaning to get to that. (laughs) Seriously. If God had left the creation's existence to us, we'd still be working on that and we'd still be saying, oh, I'm I'm meaning to get to that. Well, what have you done for the last 6,000 years? Couple vacations, couple parties, couple college degrees, and then I went to the lake and and then it was deer season and and then I caught my favorite series and I binge watched it for seven hours. But I've been meaning to get to the dolphins. Well, they're waiting for a mate. (laughs) Flipper is really lonely. (laughs) God did not rest. Hear that, church. God did not rest until it was completed. We often use that excuse. Well, I'm so tired. Well, try to work on it a little bit tonight. Pastor Kerry Gordon, uh, we sell his big book back there, and I'm still working through it, and it's a tough read because he is such a scholar But he told his church, you know how you read my book, church? 15 minutes at a time. And before long, you finished my book. Because he realizes when you leave it to American flesh, eh, it's just easier to watch something and let somebody else disciple me. (laughs) Yeah. God did not rest until creation was completed. We would rest six days and plan to create it all on the seventh if it was left to us. 
We do nothing for six days and say, it's due Sunday, I'm getting it done Sunday or Saturday. 1 Samuel 3, 12, in that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. That might be a good prayer confession for some of you. When I begin this book, I will make an end. When I begin this house project, I will make an end. When I begin this, I will make an end. When I begin this budget, I will make an end. When I begin this assignment, I will make an end. That's what the Lord said. Let me let you in on a pastoral secret. When I deal with husbands and wives in this church, one of the biggest complaints I hear from the women is, he never finishes what he starts. The whole house is full of half projects. I hear that a lot. Apparently it frustrates women. Amen. Even God's prophecies had beginnings and endings. Notice that an ending must be made. You must make an ending. We think it's done when we walk away. But apparently an ending is made. I will make a beginning and I will also make an end to it. That means the completion of it is a set thing and you know when it's done. It isn't like you're running a marathon and you're like, all right, I'm done. And you still have 15 miles to go. There's a set end point. When you finish the book, it says the end. When you finish the project, all the tools are done and the thing's completed and you have scraps left over. It isn't you just walk away with stuff flapping in the wind. This is part of being promoted in the kingdom, guys. Most men are very successful at making a mess and not very successful at making an end. <laughs> Amen. And now I'm hammering us guys. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. My meat. My meat is to do and to finish. Even Jesus says, part of my calling is to finish what God started. Our meat, our source of energy, our source of livelihood, our source of, of momentum is doing and finishing the will and work of God. Meat is not just deep teaching. That's a, I honestly believe that's a false teaching on meat. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, this is where we get it from, I wish I could feed you with meat, but I have to feed you with milk. Meat is the King James word that means anything that has to be chewed. We think meat is like steak, but the Greek actually just means anything that must be chewed as opposed to things that are drunk. When you chew something, you use all your mandibulars, muscles, and blah, blah, blah. With your drink, you can have no teeth and no jaw. So, and Jesus gave us the interpretation here, meat is doing. So when you're a baby Christian, you don't really get assigned much doing because you can't do much. So you just drink it all in. But at some point, even the babies want to stand up. They want to crawl. They want to reach. They start kicking stuff. They start cooing. And they start doing. Our strength, our livelihood comes from doing and finishing. You've never known, and Proverbs says, the desire accomplished is pleasant to the soul. I get so much joy personally out of crossing things off my to-do list. I, it's like a little Christmas party for me when I can pull up my, my big notes app and I can delete a whole note because I did everything on it. I get, it's like a birthday party for me. But that's, see, we wanted, to be, we wanted to be led by the Spirit into future promotion. Promotion is based upon completions. You thrust yourself forward by scratching things off your to-do list. Because as soon as you scratch this off, the Lord gives you another thing. I've been through enough seasons of this now pastoring. I can get into prayer and the Lord will give me about 15 projects. Write this curriculum. 
take care of this, have this person in, you're gonna build this. And then he won't talk to me again until all that stuff is done. He literally will not talk to me about me or the church until that stuff's done. And then when that list starts drying up, he gives me another list. And I've almost wanted to think, if I get this list done faster, will he talk to me more quicker? And if I drag this thing out for 15 years, do I go 15 years without hearing from God? Probably not, because he'd probably come down and rebuke me for being lazy. And then he'd say, now the 15 things I gave you to do, do them. But we're not led into promotion. We scratch things off our to-do list and that builds us into promotion. Hopefully you can see that. Meat is not just deep teaching. It's actually doing what you've been taught. Last verse here, and this is where we cut off for this class. John 5, 36. I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father has given me to finish. What has the Lord given you to finish? Start with the little things. Start with the house project. Start with the kitchen project. Start with the garage project. Start with the garden. Finish whatever you've started. It will really build something in you. Finish what you start. Don't leave it half done. And don't pick up any new projects till you finish the old ones. The works which the Father has given me to finish, the same works that I do, they bear witness of me. Notice Jesus finishing things built a witness of him. They built his testimony. What you finish testifies of you. What you finish testifies of you. They bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. We might say they bear witness of us that we keep our word. So we have two more pages on this curriculum, so maybe that's all we can handle this morning. I think we've kind of whipped on us pretty good because we're all guilty of this stuff. We've got to finish what we start. That's how the Lord promotes us. And if you'll finish what you start, you'll teach your kids to do the same, and they'll go further than you. We've got to divorce ourselves from this spirit of quit. Even in the 80s, what is it, Huey Lewis in the news, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. He even wrote a song about it. In, in 2015, we need that Huey Lewis song again. In 2015, when the going gets tough, we ask for welfare. When the going gets tough, we want somebody who works hard to give us what they worked hard for because it's not fair that they have it and I don't, even in spiritual conditions. When the going gets tough, I want a prayer line. So that the pastor or the guest minister who spent all his time in prayer and fasting and dis discipline, that he can get from me what I've refused to get for myself because I don't finish anything I start. We have to be completers. Don't try to tackle the Great Wall of China today. Go home and pick up your bedroom. Go home and actually balance your checkbook and keep it balanced. Go home and actually clean your car and don't stop till it's really clean. Go home and finish whatever you intended. Whatever book you left off, assuming it's not a sinful book, finish it. I hate not finishing TV shows. Unless it's sinful, I've turned off plenty of shows. I'm like, that's filthy. But I hate, because it's left undone, and I hate leaving things undone. It bugs me. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying, folks? God wants us to be men and women of integrity. We keep our word. We're, we're, we have character. And like our Father, we finish everything He gives us to start. And everything we pick up that He permits, we finish that too. Amen? Father, I thank you for blessing our time this morning. This is a hard-hitting, maturing lesson that we need to hear. The whole kingdom needs to hear it. But may we get this working in our soul and in our heart and in our lives that we might have a testimony like Jesus. May we finish building the towers we've started that we might be men and women of a good reputation, a good name that's rather to be chosen than great riches. I thank you, Lord, for blessing these listeners in Jesus' name. Amen.